This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. Welcome to iFanboy's Talksplode, the interview show from iFanboy.com. I am Josh Flanagan. Today we have Andy Schmidt with us. Andy is the senior editor from IDW Comics, a former Marvel editor, and the founder of Comics Experience, which has classes on teaching people how to make comics from writing to drawing to coloring to all sorts of things. Devil at your side, but an angel on her way. 
I am here with Andy Schmidt. Andy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing very good. Uh, we, we're talking to you for, for a bunch of things, but we've never actually had an editor on the show to talk about. It's something I've always been interested uh, in, in talking about because I think it's that, that area that, that everybody knows these people exist, but nobody really knows what they do. Yeah, that, that seems to be what I, what I find. <laughs> You're the producer of, of comics, I guess. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair way of putting it. I I try to I, I shy away from the uh, from the movie from the movie relationships because I never know who the writer and the director are and the cinematographer. But I, yeah, producer, sure, that sounds good. It's a nice. It's a it, it's just a strange anomalous thing. It doesn't really it, yeah. it, it encompasses being able to do everything. Um, so I I know I you know came to know you as an editor at Marvel, um, which is sort of I guess where you where you came up. Um, how did how did you get started out at Marvel? Uh, it sort of, it sort of was a, was a two-step process and there were five years in between the two steps, which is always great. But, uh, in, back in 1997, I was an intern for a summer at, at Marvel. I was going to college in Tennessee and I did a summer internship at Marvel and, uh, made some friends there that I stayed in touch with. And then, uh, I went back at the end of the summer, finished my last, uh, then I was a senior senior year after that and then did some other things got a master's degree in media communications and uh kept up with some folks at marvel and uh and met a bunch of other people when i was doing the masters i i was writing a lot of papers on comics like academic papers on comics and met a lot of creators that way were you, were you a, like a lifelong comic reader i don't, I don't... you know i I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was in the, uh, when I was really little, you know, comics were always around. So I had two older brothers, Arnie and Craig that, that had comics. I don't remember them not being around. Uh, but, uh, I think when I graduated high school and I went to college on top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere, there just weren't any comics around. So I got out of it for a time for four or five years. And then, uh, I was after college, I was working at, uh, at a Borders bookstore, just, just as a regular Sales. Was this, was this after you got the masters? No, this okay. was uh, this. <laughs> yeah, that job led me to to, <laughs> to trying to get a degree that I could get a job with. Uh, apparently, being a philosophy major with minors in religion and studio fine arts does not immediately guarantee you a job. Who knew? That's shocking. Uh, yeah. So when I was working at Borders, they had a system where, uh, as an employee, you could check out books like a library. And they knew that I was, you know, when they found out that I, you know, knew anything at all about graphic novels, um, they put me in charge of, of, uh, you know, that, that space. And so, uh, we, we had the very nicest graphic novel section, easy to find anything you wanted in the, in the St. Louis area. Uh, and uh, and yeah, I started checking out books that like I'd heard about, but I I hadn't read you know Preacher, Sandman, whatever, whatever I was just hearing like really great things about. I started checking out books, and of course I was also checking in on my old favorite superheroes and all that sort of stuff. And I just sort of got back into it just because I happened to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went back to school, and when I was getting the master's degree, I kept writing papers in different classes that had some connection to to comics and it was it sort of slowly dawned on me like oh i I actually really i actually really like this stuff like i I really want to do this and i was really interested in it as an art form as a as a medium what can you do in in comics that you can't do as well in film or in a novel and you know vice versa I i just got really interested in that really interested in the creative process of writers and artists and editors and colorists and letters how that all comes about who does what and you know who wins the fight when you disagree like <laughs> i always got i just got really interested in that and then 
wound up writing a, a big you know thesis paper on the comics industry, on, on marketing and advertising in the comics industry. But I had written papers on comic book law and, just, uh, you know, comic book management, like all kinds of different stuff. Uh, what did you and, use? I'm just yeah. curious. What, what did you use for source back? Because if you said that was like 97 or so or? Yeah, that was, uh, well, I was probably writing the paper in around 99 or 2000, I think. And it sort of turned out that, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of yeah, research. I was thinking. And so uh, there, there are in, – in academia, there are really two kinds of research. There's secondary research, which is stuff that you get from, from books or you download off the internet or, or wherever. And then there's what's called primary research, which is research that you actually go out and do, which is either field work. Like if you're a scientist, you go out and you, you test the soil that you're finding the, the pH level of or whatever. Uh, but in something like this – I was I was conducting interviews uh, with I was just reaching out to whoever I could find at the time and uh, you know I was just cold calling editors I cold called you know Marvel DC Wildstorm which at the time wasn't DC mm-hmm. uh, you know and, and, and at that time of the nineties I don't think they were doing that much so. No, I just – yeah, I mean the the thing is there's a phone number and an address for all the publishers because they have to publish that in their books. And so I would start there, see if I could talk to editors or marketing people, you know, depending, depending on what I was writing about. And, um, you know, then, you know, at the end of every interview, I, I would just say, hey, is there anybody else that you think I should talk to and would you mind either passing my contact info over to them mm-hmm. or just giving it to me directly? And through that, I just started – Meaning people till I till I was talking more with creators than anyone else, and you know, I mean, the, a great thing about the comics industry is how generally how nice people are, <laughs> and, and so they would talk to me, and uh, you know, I think I think too, like it's a you know, I had the advantage of I was a student, I was somebody writing a paper for school, and you know, I think everybody that like has a career sort of takes pity on you, you know, <laughs> or uh, or you know, just. You know, is it's a compliment to be contacted as as an expert in the field, and so they they they're they're happy to talk to you usually. I, and some guys were hard to actually get an appointment with, but but you know, I managed to talk to some 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 pretty awesome creators just you know without having to hit them up for work or ask them to please send work in, which was that's a nice way to meet people. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's what I that's what I did. That led to the master's degree, which led to my uh, teaching college in St. Louis, and I created a comics class, uh, two comics classes actually for Webster University there, and then got the call from one of my friends who was still at Marvel, uh, and said, "Hey, there's an opening that if you're interested, you should apply for," and uh, I was interested, so I applied. You, as a, I mean, how did you start out there? As an associate editor or uh, assistant editor? Assistant it was editor. Like, it's a yeah, ground level, entry level position, um, and I was working under Tom Brevoort, uh, and he had another assistant at the time, Mark Sumerak. Um and yeah, I, I moved, hopped on a plane. I had two suitcases full of clothes, and uh, moved <laughs> to New York. <laughs> you know, I guess that's time. pretty impressive. Times haven't changed much since the you know early 1900s when you used to hear that sort of story. But yeah, took two suitcases, moved to New York, and Isn't that um, basically exactly the same as Denny O'Neill's story. I mean, uh, you come from St. Louis and just move out. And well, funny you should mention Denny because Denny Denny actually helped me out quite a bit. Uh, Denny did come from St. Louis, and uh, Denny, 
I would fly. I flew down to St. Louis twice, Denny and his wife, to speak to my to my class when I was at Webster University, and. I would, you know, when he would come in, you know, we'd go to dinner, you know, I mean, he's sort of my responsibility as, as the guest speaker to, you know, make sure he, he's comfortable and all that sort of stuff. So I'd hang out with him and I'd say, hey, I was an intern and I had never thought, you know, prior to that, I thought about writing and I thought about directing film uh, and doing some cinematography. And uh, and I was talking with Denny. I was like, yeah, I think there's there's something to this editing thing. I think I'd really like it. And, you know, Denny would say, you know, the comics market is doomed, kid. You know, <laughs> you, you can get a job, but you'll be out of it in, in three weeks, you know. And at the time, too, I mean, remember, this is the, you know, this this was also going on at, at the very end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s right. when, when Marvel, which is where I had most of my connections, although Denny was uh, obviously at DC, uh, you know, Marvel was, <laughs> yeah. was just in, in, in utter turmoil, you know? So, uh, so the idea of going to Marvel was, you know, there were people getting laid off all the time. They were, they were in bankruptcy. There was, there's, you know, and then at the same time there, there was, there was also a lot of creative energy that was just starting. Well, that was, uh, I remember that as a time that, you know, it was just coming out of everybody going right to hell and nobody making any money. And all of a sudden, comics yeah. started getting really good. Yeah, and actually one of the people that I interviewed when I was doing my papers was Joe Casada because I was really impressed with uh, Daredevil and Inhumans and a bunch of the stuff that was coming out through through Marvel Knights. And so and so that whole little thing, like what is Marvel Knights, that was really interesting to me. And, uh, and Joe was nice enough to do, I think, two interviews with me when I was when I was a student. And um, and he's, you know, Joe's really great with that. You know, he's really open and honest with, with sort of what he thinks about stuff and, and where things are. And, um, and, uh, and so it was interesting that I had, that I had talked with him. And so I sort of knew what he was doing and what, what his focus was on sort of with Marvel Knights. And then I would also talk with other people at Marvel and it seemed like there, there was sort of energy over here, over at Marvel Knights and, and, sometimes more fear <laughs> at, at the rest of Marvel, you know? And so it was really, it was really strange. And then, uh, I went up to, I went up to Marvel right before I got hired, uh, I guess to interview with Tom who had actually interned with five years before, but and he claims that he remembered me, but I, I'm still not sure he did. Uh, cause I, I don't think there's any reason I would have made any impact on him whatsoever that entire summer. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, when I went up there, because I had interviewed the the, the head marketing guy, who, which was Bill Roseman at the time, who's now actually an editor at Marvel now, um, he got me in. He he was like, oh, you should meet Bill Jemis, and he just he he like walked me down the hall, and I sat down and met with Bill Jemis, and Bill, I, I guess, got along with me uh, well enough, and you know certainly didn't stop me from getting hired. So that was. Seems so, like that was that would have been a good time, I guess, to break in if, if you you know in the in the sort of arc of what Marvel's done. Well, yeah, I mean it it really was, and I went in with the attitude of because it really was still still turmoil at the time. Um, it's it's a much more uh, it's 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 a much more I guess I'd say secure place now. Like you're you're not afraid the doors of the building are going to close. Uh, you know, Iron Man did all right, uh, so. But at the time, I, I moved there literally thinking, okay, I'm giving up this job that I have. You know, I've got a full-time sort of gig over here at, at 
you know, between the, the couple of universities I was teaching at, I wasn't on staff anymore. I was doing adjunct. So that's not the best position to be in either. But it was reliable work that I was going to have for, for a good long while, at least. And I was moving and leaving that and going, okay, th- I mean, this whole place could fold in two months. Mm-hmm. I could be here literally for two months. But I knew, like, if I didn't try it, you know, I was just going to kick myself <laughs> for not going. So I went and I decided that there's there's utter chaos at Marvel at the time, just just com- complete chaos. But but a lot of it, a lot of it when I was getting there was was really turning to positive chaos. Um, there was still some of that negative and some of that fear, and there was a lot of sort of, you know, kind of like, what's going on over there? Okay, all right, you know, that's fine. But at the time that I that I was going in, it was really turning much more over to positive. Joe was in the editor in chief seat and had been for for several months so that was that was calming down and people weren't worried that that he was just going to fire everyone or anything crazy like that um and again joe's a really reasonable smart guy so that was really never in the cards but when those big shakeups happen there's always that fear of like oh no what's the new guy gonna do you know is he just gonna clean house just cause or whatever so uh by the time i was there bill and joe were in place the ultimate line had had just started uh, so things were really starting to, I mean, you could see the ship, you know, starting to turn, starting to really change course. But even so, it didn't mean that everything was great all of a sudden. So, I mean, you know, they were still in Chapter 11 at the time and all that. So when I started, I just decided I'm going to go in, I'm going to use the chaos to my advantage and learn everything I possibly can because they're at a skeletal staff because they can't afford anything else, which means they need people to be doing you know, more than just what's just in the job description. They need people to be helping out with production or helping out with whatever, taking on extra work or whatever it is. And so I was like, I will just do whatever I can to learn as much as I possibly can, as long as I'm also keeping Tom Brevoort happy with my work with him. So I'm not like just abandoning my post. And, <laughs> excuse me, sorry, getting over a cough. And I decided I would meet as many people and freelancers as possible. And with freelancers, I just really loved talking with them about, you know, their art and their approach to things, writing, art, color, you know, inking. Um, I really, inking is the hardest thing in the world to explain to somebody that doesn't understand what it is. I mean, it boils down to, if it's if it's somebody you just meet, you're meeting at a cocktail party, you're just, it's tracing, you know, and you just leave it at that. Uh, and then you just, you, you know that any inker friend of yours would, would strangle you if they had just witnessed you saying that. Uh, but, but it was one of those things as an editor, I'm like, I don't know how to pick a good anchor for a penciler. So that was something I would just, I was just like, well, I don't know how to do it. So I would just be honest about it. And I talked to pencilers about what are you looking for in a good anchor? I talked to anchors about how do you feel your inks would match with so-and-so or whatever, what approach would you take? I mean, at the time, it still happens in New York that freelancers will come into the office and they'll talk to you uh, face-to-face and they'll bring, you know, original art in. That doesn't that doesn't happen nearly as often anymore because it's all digital. They just scan it and put it on an FTP server. They don't have to leave their home. Uh, well, I think and, many, I, and many of them don't. So, well, but when I, they when they would come in, I would I would say, hey, how do you approach this page? Like, how do you like inking John Romita Jr.? What what's cool about this for you? You know, and and I would I just learned a lot that way. Sorry, you're, so, no, totally. That's it's really it's interesting because it's one of those things. Like, I I think every once in a while I think I could edit a comic. I'd be I know I know what's going on, and I thought, boy, inkers that would confuse me as which ones to choose for what. And, and I mean, you can obviously see the difference. I'm. 
I don't, I don't want to name a bunch of names, but you can you can obviously see like some guys look really good with some people, and other you know others look completely different than they used to because different you know people are inking them. Did, did you? Is I mean I guess you pick that up after a while. You start to get that sense of of what it is, or did you you know like can you yeah. recognize lines immediately yeah, that, now? Yeah, it's sort of interesting. At at first, you begin to pick up. Okay, this is working. Like it's as nebulous as that. Like okay, these two guys work, and so then I would go. Okay, well. This inker's busy now, and I'm still working with Mark Bagley. So, okay, I know John Dell can ink Mark Bagley really great. Who who do I think sort of inks like John Dell? Okay, um, Scott Hanna doesn't ink exactly like John Dell, but he's really good. So let's see what that looks like. Or, you know, who you know, uh, Danny Mickey, you know, inked, inked Bagley for a while on Ultimate Spider-Man, and and. Uh, I wasn't working on those. I wasn't making those choices, but it's just the example that popped in my brain. But, you know, through that, seeing, like, once you know what the penciler stuff looks like, and then you've tried, you know, different anchors or, or different anchors have worked over them, you start to see, like, oh, this is the difference that, that these anchors make. And you pick up on things where, like, oh, this this anchor has a real smooth line, this anchor has a real rough line. Like, it's very easy to tell the difference between John Dell, for example, and... Uh, or Dexter Vines and Klaus Janssen. That's right. pretty easy. So you uh, ended up um, being bumped up to to sort of full whack editor. Um, yeah, from assistant you go from assistant you go to associate, and then from associate editor to yeah full editor. What, so was that? There I was mean, a step in between. Was it at that point? Um, I mean, did you were you having fun with it, or did you know? Did you feel like you knew what was going on, or was it a whole new thing? Um, by the time I got bumped up to associate, I felt. Yeah, I felt like I, I mean, I felt like I knew what was going on in the sense that I knew that I could put a book together and from from start to finish and there would be a comic book in stores on the date it was supposed to be there. Um, that, But, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people, I never feel like, oh, this is, this is it, I'm, I'm perfect, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's, there's always more for me to learn. Um, you know, there's, there's always more you can do to make the comic just a little bit better. There's always... You know, I, I always wish I had more time with every project I, I worked on. Um, but by the time I was an associate editor, I had the confidence of, I, I know how this works. I know what, what technically everything that needs to happen to go into making a comic book. Like, I, I understood. It didn't, didn't mean I could sit down at a computer and, and letter a book myself, necessarily. But, uh, you know, I, I knew the right people to call if I didn't know how to do something. <laughs> so, at that point, yeah, I mean, and, and, and at that point, you know, I, again, you know, coming into Marvel when I did, my driving idea was, was move as fast as you can. Learn as much as you can and move as fast as you can and pitch as much, much stuff to Marvel as you possibly can so you can get your own, you know, editor credit. So I was, so I, I say I, but there were several of us that were, that were getting credit as editor on particular books, even though we were assistant editors technically, but we had, we'd pitched or, you know, in my case, you know, I got, Spider-Girl got handed to me because uh, Tom didn't have the time to, to, to devote his full attention to that because, you know, he had, he had other, you know, bigger, projects and so spider girl and captain marvel got handed to me on the same day okay so tom would still review them you know it's not like he wasn't in the picture i mean you know um but i was doing the lion's share of the work and and uh and i was giving all the the comments for scripts and on you know choosing the artists and and and, you know what tom said is if you're going to do anything that's going to get you fired i'll stop (laughs) you know so uh 
So in that respect, Tom was a great boss because it was it was really just jump into the deep end of the pool and go, which is what I wanted. Um, so that that worked out really well, and was also in, in extraordinarily frightening at the same time because it was still a fairly volatile place. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it was it was go 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 and pitch as much stuff and and Nick Lowe who's editing X Men now and Warren Simons who's doing Daredevil and just just left uh, about two months ago and John Barber came in, uh, you know, we all came in within a year within a year of each other and we all sort of had this thing where we were going to help each other out because we knew that we needed to uh, and we were all going to pitch as much stuff as we possibly could and and our own projects up and running because it's really what we wanted to do and we wanted to connect with the freelancers and 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 do all this uh, you know it's it's like hey we're working in comics let's do this you know let's go now <laughs> so, it's, it's interesting it's that you talk about pitching so much stuff because i mean you think of that as a writer's thing but it sounds to me like the editors are, are also coming up with stuff constantly too well it comes uh, it comes both ways um absolutely writers pitch stuff all the time and that's and that probably is where most pitches come from um but editors have to pitch things too. Uh, so, you know, and in some cases, I would just write up a document and I would submit it to the 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 the, the senior editor group that would review, you know, whatever pitches and whatever. And anything that I'm going to send in to the senior editor group, I would of course give to Tom Brevoort, my direct supervisor. First, he'd give me comments, make it about fifty bajillion times better than what I had written, mm-hmm. and then it would go in front of the group. But if I pitch a project and I'm an editor <laughs> and it gets approved, then I, it's not like I'm going to sit down and write it. <laughs> so then I would have to go and get uh, a creative team on board and then usually they would, they would wind up uh, reworking the pitch or writing their own version of it, which, which may change it drastically from, from what I had pitched because you want your writer to be invested in it. <laughs> so if they've got a better idea, which often was the case because – they're trained professionals or if they've got just a different idea that's just as good you go with that uh and so like in the in the case of uh so one of the one of the earlier things that i pitched that got off the ground was drax the destroyer which is a four issue miniseries uh i pitched that and i went to keith giffen and i said to keith hey this is what I'm looking for. It's Drax the Destroyer. I want to sort of revamp him so he's not the same guy with a purple cloak that he used to be. Um, and I want to do uh, the Marvel equivalent of Lilo and Stitch from Disney. And uh, and that's that was what I pitched to Keith. And I said, what do you think? And then we talked about it. And then I'm, from there, I, I don't know who came up with what. But Keith wound up writing the pitch. And, you know, we would bounce ideas back and forth. And then that went in front of the, the group and got approved. And they said find an artist that's not doing anything else and found Mitch and got it done. And then that led to, you know, and that whole time I had been saying to to Dan and to Joe and Tom, like, I want to take all the, the cosmic characters. And, and this was sort of, they're like, well, instead of doing a big cosmic space opera thing, why don't you just do one side little miniseries? So that's sort of how Drax came about. And that based on the not sales success of Drax because it didn't sell that great, but um, the people that read it seemed to really like it. They they greenlit the Annihilation. Thing. I mean, it seems to me like that was a, that was a kickoff point for stories that are still happening today, which is really fairly interesting because those characters were done, they were done. <laughs> well, you know, and I'll, to be perfectly blunt, I didn't I didn't grow up loving those characters. Uh-huh. Uh, 
you know, I read Infinity Gauntlet and I was a fan of uh, Silver Surfer. Like I always liked a lot of those characters in theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the the premise of them or I liked the look of them or I liked whatever. I'd, there was something about them that I always liked, but I, I very rarely was, was reading. You know, I never read Nova until, until that time. But, you know, it's not I, I couldn't pitch X-Men. There was, yeah. there was an X-Men line. I couldn't pitch Captain America. and I mean, I, mean, I could pitch Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk. Those characters a little bit better because they were actually within my office, but uh, which is Tom's office. He ran the Marvel Heroes, Avengers, FF, and sort of everything under all of that. And But, you know, it was always going to be... You know, it's, I, there was nothing I could really, like, sink my teeth into. I, could, I couldn't pitch a Captain America story that... that that changed Captain America drastically, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was like, literally like I was looking through the old, like 1988 Marvel universe handbook. And I'm like, wait, a second, we're not doing anything with these characters. They were immensely popular in the seventies or some of them were anyway. And why don't we, why don't we do something new with them? And I'm, I am a big science fiction fan and I am a, a war, a war story buff, you know, world war two, that sort of thing. And, <laughs> I figured this would be this would be great. Also, at the time, I was getting a little tired of superhero, 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 mm-hmm. all the time. So this was my way of doing superhero, but doing science fiction and doing war. And so I was pitching this thing, and you know, the original pitch for this thing was like a three three twelve issue series that would interconnect. And it was uh, I'm trying to remember. It was the Inhumans, and uh, it was Gladiator, I think, from the Shi'ar, and um, and a Captain a Captain Marvel thing, and obviously what we did was is nothing like that. <laughs> uh, but that was where the initial sort of thing started. I got a hold of Drax. They let me do Drax, and then from there they let me um, they let me work with Keith on sort of fleshing out the, f- the whole first annihilation. But it was really a search for characters that they would let me have because yeah. they cared, <laughs> and they would let me do things where where I could. I could change them so I could I could alter the status quo and and no one was safe and that sort of thing which just allows for a lot more um, story possibilities so in a lot of senses in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways I mean it was it was the fact that no one cared anymore that allowed annihilation to happen um, so I got really lucky is that is one of the, is that one of the projects that they get you like you're, you're most proud of from your time in Marvel yeah I mean I, I mean, I was I was an associate editor, and I was running my own major event, you know, at, at the time. I mean, that's a that was pretty big. I mean, I don't. I mean, the the fact that Nova is still ongoing today is a testament because <laughs> that book couldn't you know couldn't buy traction, <laughs> literally. Um, yeah, so, and I, I I you know it's a and it's a really good book. It's it's one of those. It's been good all the way through. You know, it's are you still keeping up with the stuff today? Uh, yes and no. You know, it's really interesting. Um, you know, several creators have told me that like once they leave a book, they really don't read it or they don't read it for years mm-hmm. before they go back. And <clears throat> I'm behind. So, um, and I'm reading X Factor, which was, which was also, it was sort of like my other baby there. And, uh, and, uh, I, I check in on the cosmic stuff, but I don't read mm-hmm. it as, as, as much as I should, I guess. <laughs> it's okay. I understand. But it, but I, but it, it's it's not that I don't like it. it. It it really is like I can't read those books without thinking, oh, would I have done that? Yeah. Or would I have okayed that? Or you know whatever. And I love I love all the creators. I mean, you know, Dan and Andy are, are two guys that I that I brought on because I love their I love their stuff. So it's like it's like these are books that are these are books that I would want to make yeah. <laughs> if I were still there. But 
it, it's really hard to, to look at that stuff without going like, uh, I would have gone in a different direction. Or what, and, and, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be questioning other editors' decisions. I don't want to be questioning creative decisions. If I sit down to read a comic, I want to sit down and enjoy reading a comic and not be second-guessing it all the time. I understand that. Um, now, now, I, I, so after all this, you, you, decided, you, you decided to leave Marvel um, and, and move on. Yeah, I, they they promoted me up to editor, and and um, and Nick and I were were put on X Men. We were going to run the X Men, and and uh, I was there for a year. Nick is still there, and uh, my wife got pregnant um, by me, fortunately. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I really love editing comics, which is good because I'm editing comics again. Um, but I did want to write, and that's just not—that's uh, just not something you can really do at Marvel. You can't write for a competitor while you're on staff there, and you can't really write for Marvel while you're on staff there, um, which means you can't really write comics. So, um, and that was something I, you know, I had struggled with a lot while there. But I also knew, like, I, I'm green as a writer. Like, I know I can edit a comic, but I'm green as a writer, and I, I shouldn't be, you know, writing a Marvel comic mm-hmm. as my first comic. Uh, you know, it was my first like published work or whatever. So uh, I can't really argue with the logic of that. And um, we tried a couple of different things. You know, and I had talked with the publisher, and and ultimately, you know, I think if I had pushed, you know, they may have let me write something here or there, but it always would have been awkward, and it and it just was never going to be pleasant. You know, um, and so I stopped pushing on that. But I, but I, but it was in the back of my head for you know a good two years. Like I, you know, I want to write things, and I would, you know, and I wrote scripts while I was at Marvel. I just I couldn't submit them anywhere or anything. So, um, but I wanted, I wanted, you know, again, I felt like it would make me a better editor if nothing else. If I would sit down and I would write scripts and I would write a mini series of my own with my own characters or whatever, um, it would just make me a better editor. Um, and maybe someday I could do something with them. And of course, you know, after doing that for two years, you, you know, you've got a mountain of scripts, and you look at them. You know, th- then you leave, and you look at your scripts, and you're like, "Oh, I'll make all these miniseries." And you look at them, and you're like, "Oh, these are all crap." <laughs> um, but yeah, my when when Kale was coming along, which is my son's name, um, <laughs> my wife and I decided that that was the time to make to make the switch. If I was gonna if I was gonna make the switch, that I'd do that now. So um, yeah, I put in my put in my notice and, and, um, left. Uh, and that was in June 7th of 2007 it was my last day. You know the day. So I do. I do. Well, I knew the, I knew Kale's due date. So I had actually been living knowing I was going to leave for about six months uh-huh. before I could tell anyone. Um, cause you know, you don't want to be persona non grata and you don't want people to think that you're, even if you're not, you don't want people to even think for a second that you're, that you're, you know, not pulling your weight. Um, and so I, yeah, I mean, I kept that, I kept that to myself for, for a long time. And, uh, and Nick is who I was sharing an office with and we were co-editing the X-Men. Uh, you know, Nick is to this day, you know, one of my very best friends and I, I didn't even tell him until I had turned in the notice. And so, yeah, I, I remember that date, you know, and I was, just, I was nervous. I, I was about to become a dad yeah. <laughs> and I was quitting my job. Right. That, <laughs> like, those two not, things don't usually go together, you know? Yeah. That's not smart. Like when I, when I went into to, to Dan Buckley, the publisher's office and turned in, you know, gave him my three weeks notice. He, uh, 
I think he actually thought I was kidding. Like I was like, no, no, no I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> and I'm going to leave. There are other things I want to do, and and I want to be a stay-at-home dad for as long as I can. Uh, it was really important to me to to you know do that uh, to be with my child. I didn't know it was going to be a son yet. Mm-hmm. Waited, and um, he's like, okay. And then even then, he, he's like, you know what? I'm going to hold on to this letter for 24 hours just in case you change your mind. <laughs> so I came back in the next morning. I was like, oh, you can you can put that up to HR now. So uh, but yeah, that was I mean that was a tough decision. We made it early on because we knew we had to start planning for it. And we were saving and all you know all that sort of stuff, um, but. I wanted to do some writing, uh, and like I said, which I have now done, which is great. Uh, but I also really wanted to get back to teaching. You know, I, before I was at Marvel, I was doing some teaching, and when I was at Marvel, I did a little bit, but not a whole lot. So that's where comics experience uh, came from. Was from when I left Marvel. And that is your your comics instruction business. Is that that's probably a bad way to describe it? But what, what would you? What is comics experience? Don't yeah. let me do your marketing. It would be a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, comics experience, uh, I had started in New York. And at first it was just I would rent rooms in New York to hold classes. And uh, you could sign up online um, at comicsexperience.com, which is still the website. And um, and and I would hold classes, like introductory courses on writing and on penciling. Uh, and that's where it started, and it was just an in-classroom thing in New York. And then, uh, you know, I moved out here, out west to California to take the job at IDW, which we can talk about in a minute. Uh, and now it is online. So I'm teaching my first online writing class, and it's it's going great right now. Um, and I've had tons of my, my clients or students, what I, you know, I don't know what what I call them, tons of aspiring writers and artists have come out of those classes, have published their own stuff, have been published at other publishers. Um, so it's been a really, a, a really great thing. I mean, the, the students all, you know, sort of band together and help each other out. And it's just, it's a, it's a really fun, really positive learning environment, which I think all learning environments should be. And, um, and and it's just been you know people just keep asking for more so i keep i keep i keep doing it now so what I, sort of uh, level of of like a writer and artist are, are the are the classes for are they mostly introductory things people who have no idea what a comic script looks like or well yeah i mean the the introductory courses are designed for um for anyone who really knows very little about comics um you know has probably read a couple can take the class and find out you know, I mean, I, with writing, you know, you start with the basics. What is a story? You know, uh, how do you build a character? Um, you know, what's a good conflict for this character versus for another character? You start with those basic building blocks, and it goes the introductory course. And this is, this is true for artists as well. You know, it starts on, you know, learn your anatomy. You know, here's how here's how you lay out a, a page. You know, here's how you break down a script so you know what you should be drawing and where the emphasis should be. So both classes in the introductory course really take you from from zero to 60. So it takes you all the way up through till you, in the intro class of writing, you wind up with a five-page script. In the intro class of art, you wind up with five pages of, you know, good, really good storytelling um, artwork uh, that you've done on your own, uh, which, is, which is amazing. You do it in six weeks. And... Um, you know, I've had people come in that have said, you know, I'm really just interested in in comics just for myself. I'm not really going to do the 
the, the assignments. I'm not really going to do that, which is fine. I mean, it's your you're welcome to come to class and not and not do the homework assignments. That's fine. If you just want to hear the discussions and all that sort of stuff, and um, but by the, I don't think I've ever had anybody at the end wind up not doing because the the environment is so much. Is, there's so much energy from from people who want to do this, um, even if they don't want to do it as a career. Just they want the experience of writing something. They want the experience of, of drawing it. Like they grew up as a kid loving comics, and they haven't read them for ten years, and all of a sudden they get the urge, and they find comicsexperience.com online, and they decide, what the heck, I'm going to take this class, and they wind up drawing five pages, and they haven't picked up a pencil in ten years, and like the energy from somebody coming in doing that, like inspires everyone else, you know, to, to do it. And in fact, in my own writing, when I'm teaching the classes, I'm more productive because I come out of the classes and I'm like, after being out, you know, talking with all these people, I'm like, man, I can't wait to sit down and, and write more stuff. Um, so it's, it's really great. So the introductory classes really go sort of from zero to 60 in six weeks. And then, uh, and then I do offer advanced classes for if you've done the intro class, there is an advanced class, which is uh, a seven week class and, uh, and sort of expands on, expands on, on both. And that, and those are really the classes for, you know, if you want to do this professionally, that would be a, that would be a, a good class to, you know, it would be a good idea to go ahead and take the advanced class. But the advanced class isn't for everyone. Right. Uh, well, I saw that, um, in, you know, in addition to, uh, uh you, in addition to the sort of mechanics and the writing and the story like that, there were a lot of things you sort of, uh, you know, mentioned marketing and, and not, 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 you know, marketing per se, but, you know, marketing yourself to publishers and, and how to get stuff published or how to self-publish and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the biggest, I mean, that's, a lot of people come into the class going, I don't really need, you know, thinking, I mean, most of them don't say it out loud, but let's be real. Some of them are thinking, all I need is to know who to talk to and then, I'll be good to go, you know, and I, and I know, and I know what I'm doing. I, I can, I can do this from there. Um, and who knows, some of them are right for all I know. Um, but so a lot of times, you know, in the first night of class, I ask, you know, what do you really want to know? And inevitably people want to know, how do I break into comics? Mm-hmm. And part of knowing how to break into comics is, is being the best writer you can be or being the best penciler you can be or being the best colorist you can be. So um, people sometimes aren't really looking for that wind up, getting a lot of really great, you know, story, story stuff and formatting tips and all that sort of stuff. But we definitely talk about, you know, if you're doing a creator own book or self publishing it, how do you do that? And how do you, you know, how do you market it at all? <laughs> how do you get an interview up on a, on a website and how do you do that sort of thing? And yeah, what are the different strategies to break in? You know, there's, there's the obvious ones like going to a convention, but a lot of people don't have those in their area and can't afford to take the time off work to go do that or whatever. So we, we talk about all the different ways and we talk about how to talk with an editor, you know, as, and, you know, we talk about some of the do's and don'ts, you know, you know, I, I try to boil things down into, into, into very simple terms and, and, and be very honest. Uh, you know, comics experience is it's nothing else. It's a place where you're going to get honest answers. And sometimes the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but I'll follow that up with, but I'll find out for you for next week. Mm-hmm. And now uh, you, you do, you do, you've, you're doing some classes online. You have like live classes, I guess, also in, in New York and L.A. Yeah. Or not L.A., yeah. San Diego. Uh, yeah, I've done the one out here in San Diego once. Um but the the online classes are actually live. I mean, they're 
you know, they're, they're, we're all online together and, and there's a video component so everybody can see me. It's very simple. It, okay. You know, you, you just need a, you just need a web browser basically. And, uh, and, you know, relatively decent internet speed. And it's, it's really very similar. I was really concerned. You know, the reason I've been so hesitant to do it online is because I, I wasn't sure because I really thrive off that, the interaction with the class. But now that I've got it in such a way that you can see six different people at one time and I can switch between who I'm, who I'm looking at and everything. Mm-hmm. It really simulates that in-classroom experience. There are still some things that don't work as well, but then there are things that actually work, um, that actually work better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, it's, this has been really great. You know, I was really worried, like, especially when I took a full course load on the first one and had to start, had to start turning people away uh, for the online class, I was really worried. Like, man, I better not suck because I've got a full class load <laughs> of people. <laughs> I don't want them going around <laughs> saying that this did not work out very well. So, uh, yeah, but fortunately, it's been going great so far. Cool. Um, and then and, you, you're branching out. You have a you have a coloring class now. Yes. I, my question about this is how little does does some can somebody go into this knowing nothing because yeah, there are yes. Okay. The answer is the short answer is yes. The qualifying answer is, but you do need certain uh, software, yeah. which it says very clearly on the internet or, or on the website. It says you need you know this one of these versions of Photoshop and a and a web browser. Basically, that's it. I mean, most coloring is done in Photoshop, and you don't need a real new version of Photoshop to do it. Uh, I know one of the most popular colorists in the business still uses like version three and they're up to like i've heard colorists talk about that at conventions they're like you on two no i'm on three now because apparently it's like you know using a vintage guitar i guess i don't know well the way it was explained to me by this particular person uh and i don't think he'd care if i said who he was but just in case i won't uh was that by version three photoshop had worked out it's it's kinks. And so the the effects that matter that are actually useful were in place and were working well. And it doesn't have all the bells and whistles, which are to to his mind, and I tend to agree with him, are the things that get colors in trouble. Is that they they try to use all the bells and whistles and it winds up clashing with the actual point of the page. And so he says I, he has no real use for it. You know, he can he can get his clothes, he can get, you know, a lens flare if he needs one. But everything was in place then, and he he knows it inside and out. So he can do more in three than he probably could with version eight. <laughs> At this point, you know, he'd have to relearn a lot of stuff. Now, does it does it come up? And this, I'm just curious because you know it's it's a weird economy, and it's uh you know it's not an easy industry to to break into, let, let alone make money at. I mean, does it does it come up that a lot of students are looking to make a career in it, or or do you? Uh, I do have students that. To say that, and you know, on, on the you can email me on the website if you've got specific questions, and I'll you know answer answer them to you know whatever degree uh, you know about what you get out of the course and whatnot. But um, but yeah, it comes up that people want to do it, and there's there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees of when it will happen to you. You, you might wind up with a great career in comics, but it might not start for ten years, um, or it could start right away. You know, I mean, it's. It seems to be one or the other. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It, it's usually not when you plan it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it, it, yeah. I mean, I, I have I have several students who are who are out there and they're they're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, that are that are. Um, I was just talking with one of my former students uh, just this past week, 
who wrote Existence 2.0 over at Image, three-issue miniseries, and there's a sequel to it, which is four issues coming out, and he's got a bunch of other things lined up. So he's he's doing it. He's, you know, quote-unquote living the dream, uh, which is... Which is which is just really cool, you know. I mean, and that's like, that's like the you know. I said I get a lot of energy just from being in the class, which is true, and that's that's great and and uh, and and really awesome. But then to not hear from somebody for a while, because I can't keep up with every single person, um, to not hear from somebody for a while, and then and then have them email you and go, hey, guess what? You know, after taking your class, I did this, and now I got a book coming out from Image. I'm like, holy crap! Like that. That is awesome. Like, yeah. like, look at what you've done. You know, there's no, there's no ego for me involved in that. Um, if I was able to help, then then that's that's great. But you know, the, one of the things that, that you know, I try to, I try to, you know, make sure people understand is this is not, you know, it's not about me. This is about you, and this is about your story, and this is about, you know, you telling that story to the best of your ability. And that's the sort of environment that we that we create, and that's the environment that we that we propagate and, and we encourage people in the class to, to stay in touch with each other and to, and to reach out to other classes. And, and I've had a bunch of classes put out anthology books oh, wow. where, where everybody in the class contributes a story, you know? Let, so. let me ask you a question. Uh, I guess from a, from a standpoint of a person who's both an editor and a, and a person who's sort of helping people break in, what do you think about the idea of, of, I guess, producing books and then, you know, putting most of that content up online for free? Uh, I mean, I have no real problem with it. I mean, but one of the things that we do talk about in the class is is the, is the, the economics uh, of comics. And if you're putting something up online for free, then you're getting exposure, which can lead to you know good paying work if somebody if the right person reads it or whatever. So there's there's a lot of benefits to putting stuff up online. And I always tell my students if you have a if you wind up making a make it a comic and you get a PDF of it or whatever, and you want me to put it up on the website or, you know, get the word out about it, send it my way. And so I have, you know, there've been a couple articles on Newsarama and on CBR and a couple other places that have, that have mentioned, you know, that so-and-so's book came out and they, they took the comics experience course. And, um, so that stuff has happened and that, you know, they get pages up online and I'm always happy to help. I mean, it's honestly, it's good promotion for me, but, but really it's just like, I'm so proud of, of somebody who came into my class having not really, knowing much of of the logistics of how to do this or or maybe hadn't figured out what their story really was like what the core of it was and then they go from that to my god there's there's a printed book in your hands like that is that is huge that is a huge thing (laughs) like that is that is such a massive accomplishment and a lot of people don't really don't really understand that you know until you're holding your book in your hand you even even if you've sent it to the printer you're proud at that point, but but then when you're actually holding a book in your hand that that you've produced or that you've put your effort into, and this is true as a, as an editor too, you know, I still get a I still get a little, you know, electricity off of when when the when Thomas from the from the printer shows up and gives us some advanced copies. I'm like, oh yeah, there's that. Look at that, you know. <laughs> but when you're when you're actually you know the one of the creators, I mean. It, it's 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 that much bigger, you know. I am writing books now, and they are getting published. And man, when I get a book that I've written, it's like, oh, look at this! This is awesome. Oh, every part of yeah. that's great. From getting like getting roughs back for you, like roughs. Look at this. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right or, or, or you know, it gets lettered, and you're like, look at that! There are words on that page. It's <laughs> magic. You know, it's like the, it's like the most exciting. Um, 
and and it's 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 such a huge accomplishment because it it takes so much effort. If you're if you're an artist and all you want to do is draw pages, but you want to make a good book, you gotta you gotta either write the thing yourself, which may not be your forte, so you gotta work really hard at it and can really struggle with it, or uh, you gotta find a writer, which is an effort in and of itself, and then you know you gotta find a colorist that you're gonna just hand your work over to and kind of hope for the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's getting an actual book published, and 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 the amount of stuff that you learn in that process that that can't really be taught in a class, mm-hmm. and that's and that's why so much of the class is, is focused on actually sitting down and doing the writing, doing the art. You know, doing the coloring is because you learn so much more doing than you do listening to me, uh, you know, pontificate. Do you uh, find that your students uh, uh, end up like people end up working together? The writers that find artists and vice versa, or, or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, the the last group of writers and artists in New York, the, the, I usually have those two classes going at the same time. Um, the writing class had been taught by Nick Lowe. X-Men editor, and the art class had been talk, taught by uh, Michael Seglain, DC Comics editor, JSA, and the Batman books and things, who's also an artist, which is why he's teaching the art class. Um, the, the two groups got together and, uh, and have produced an anthology book now. Um, I, don't think it, I don't know that it's actually printed yet, but, um, but yeah, and so I, like, I, you know, I wasn't teaching those classes. I, I you know, they would send me stuff, and I'd look at it and go, "Oh, here's a tip, or here's there's a tip." I mean, those guys know what they're doing, and they're both actually really good teachers. So I didn't have to actually do a whole lot, but you know, it it is my baby here that we're talking about. It's my business, so yeah, I want to follow along. And uh, and those two teachers just got together and and put the, <laughs> put the students in touch with one another. They didn't even talk to me about it. They're like, "Hey, this is a great idea," you know. It's great, that's, you know, for people who are trying to write comics, especially. You know, finding yeah, an artist finding, is finding an artist is really tough. Yeah, worst possible thing. <laughs> yeah, and that you know, of course, that's in the writing class. It's something you know I can't ignore that. So we, we have to talk about it, and I have to be honest about how annoying it can be. And but I also give tips on you know, here are some places to go, mm-hmm. uh, make make it a little easier for you. All right, one one more question on the classes. Uh, just a, a tip, I guess, for people who want to break in. Say that say that you're a writer. Like, what is one of the biggest uh, mistakes that a writer can make uh, if he's out there trying to break into comics? Uh, one big mistake is to not be writing. There are a lot of would-be writers that I meet who really don't write. They they think about stories a lot, or and they'll write a pitch for a story and an outline for a story, but they won't actually sit down and write the story that they're sort of waiting for somebody to say yes this is good go write this story and then they assume that they will magically know how to execute the entire story uh if you're a writer you should be writing and if you got a full-time day job i do too i got a two-year-old um i got a teaching business on the side i'm a busy guy and you just you got to find that time sit down and write whenever you can even if it's just five or ten minutes at a time uh so i would say Honestly, the biggest the biggest mistake I see from writers is that they're not writing. It's a it's a clairvoyant point. <laughs> um, now, now you mentioned your day job. Uh, you you're working again as an editor now at at IDW, uh, yeah. the the new young upstart uh, publisher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, a I guess how did that come about? Because because you were out and now you're in again. Yeah, I was out. 
I was out uh, of editing, um, and again, I didn't I didn't leave editing because I didn't like it. <laughs> um, I I left just because I had other interests that I that I wanted to try. Much like when I decided to move to New York to edit, it was like I'm going to kick myself if I don't go do this, uh, if I don't try and write or I don't do more teaching. Um, so. So yeah, so my wife and I had a deal. She would work for two years while I was a stay-at-home dad, and I was getting comics experience up and up and running, and hopefully profitable and that sort of thing, um, and taking on whatever freelance writing I could. And uh, reality hit. <laughs> my wife came home from work one day and said, "I don't want to go to work anymore. <laughs> I want to be the one staying at home with with Kale." So I said, okay, well, that happened a lot sooner than I expected. Um, uh, although I didn't expect to make it the full two years. Uh, I just know her well enough, I guess. But um, so, so she came home and said that. So we, we sat down, we had a conversation. Because we always said, yeah, the idea is two years, but, you know, things can change and feelings can change. And, and they had. So we talked about it. And I said, well, let me, let me do this. You know, I, I, it hasn't been long enough. At that point, it had been like eight months or something uh i said let me let me reach out to some people but let's give me time to find a job that i'm gonna really like that can pay the bills uh so you don't have to work uh or that you only have to work part-time if, if need be um and that allows me to continue to write and allows me to do the comic experience allows me to keep teaching and uh she said okay that sounds fair and what I was thinking was, no chance in hell am I going to find that job. <laughs> I was thinking but, that as you were telling me about it just now. Right. And also, like, how stupid does that sound? Oh, I'm going to have a full-time job. I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to have a teaching business. And I'm going to write. Oh, and I'm going to love it. You know, like all of it. Like, that's just stupid. That's insane. No, no person has that amount of time. But, you know, in my arrogance, I thought that was possible. So I figured... I'll never find this, this mythical job. This is like the golden fleece, right? You know, like you, you can't find this. So I figured I had better do my due diligence and, you know, at least send out a couple of emails and be told no. And, and then that'll be that. And I can ruin my marriage by forcing her to continue to work. Uh, so that was my plan. And, uh, I sent an email out. I sent a couple of emails out, a couple of feelers basically. And one of them I sent to, uh, to Chris Ryle at IDW who I had met, through Peter David because uh, Peter and I had been working together so long and he was doing Fallen Angel over at IDW so I reached out to Chris turned out he had an editor spot an editor had just left um, and so I said okay well you know he's like yeah, I'm sure you don't want to do this I'm like well actually you know I might be interested let's talk about it um, and as we talked about it over the next several weeks we realized that it could be more than just an, an editor that I could be doing that there were other other skills I had that I could bring sort of to the table to, to sort of you know justify you know the bigger title and the and the uh, and the money I needed honestly um, and so that's when they decided to offer me the gig as a senior editor and we went through the can I write you know I talked about that you know with IDW and and uh, yeah I mean it it was I mean it's 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 nerve wracking to go through that process but I was shocked. Especially looking back on it now, like they were crazy. They were crazy to make that deal with me. Uh, and it's not that I'm making tons of cash. I'm 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 comfortable. I'm happy. Um, but 
they're moving me all the way from New York and, and, you know, I, I'm relocating my family like on a, on a lark and I don't know, I was going to do Star Trek and GI Joe, but the idea of working on GI Joe and being on the ground floor of a relaunch from, from scratch was, I have to admit that was really appealing. Like from a, from an, from an editor's standpoint to really be able to sort of define, redefine these characters, so, you know, sort of for the, I guess for the second time, although it felt like the first time, third, third time, third. I think. It was kind like of almost yeah. fourth. GI Joe, you had yeah. you're the fourth. I think. <laughs> well, you had the uh, yeah the yeah the real American hero, the Marvel launch, mm-hmm. and then you had the uh, Devils Do picked up that same continuity. They did the reloaded thing, which was a reboot, and then there was then there was us. There was a Dark Horse one in there too, though. Oh, uh, we don't talk about that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, and the reason I don't talk about that is I never read it. I, I barely even knew it existed. Um, but, yeah, that was really appealing. And I wasn't a huge G.I. Joe fan, but I was a G.I. Joe fan when I was a kid. I was, however, a huge Transformers fan. I see. Um, and and Chris had said, so do you want to work on G.I. Joe or Transformers? I said, I want to work on G.I. Joe as an editor because if I want to write anything, I would rather write a Transformers story than a G.I. Joe story. You know, see, I was, I was conniving at the very beginning. You're not supposed and, uh, to tell people about that. Yeah, no. well, <laughs> there it is. But uh, but so I was working on G.I. Joe and Star Trek when I first got there, and, and you know, my God, they both they both had big movies. And then they asked me to go work on Transformers, which also had a big movie. So I wound up in the middle of this. Like, all of a sudden, I was like, I'm not doing anything in, in editorial work. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, I'm working on, like, really – huge selling properties all of a sudden again like how did that happen <laughs> but uh so now i'm working on on transformers and we're doing a big transformers relaunch right now it starts in november november december and january there's a transformers ongoing series in november uh, bumblebee in december and last day of the records launches in january and uh it's not like a start over from scratch but it's a definite you know uh, you know, soft reboot, I guess it's called, you know, all the old continuity exists, but it's a, it's a really great turning issue. One is a really great turning point and really sets the stage for cool stuff. And that's really exciting. Cause man, when I was a kid, I was, I was like, man, if, if I could have turned myself into a robot and I probably would have, I mean, I was, I was obsessed for about a year and a half with, with transformer stuff. So that like, like, this is, this is great. I got to play with all of my childhood toys over at Marvel. Uh, and now I get to, I get to play with my childhood toys here which is pretty does, awesome. it, does it feel similar because i tend to think of all those things as sort of you know established properties their ips or whatever and i guess it's not really much different than the marvel universe in a way it's more continuity in marvel but it means it's sort of a similar process uh well the process of editing is similar what's what's really different at idw is that i have multiple transformers and multiple gi joe titles going all the time yeah and and at Marvel, you can go, hey, I'm editing, you know, I'm working on Avengers, which sells great, and I have a Vision miniseries, which I know is going to sell half as many copies, but hey, that's still, that's still really profitable. Mm-hmm. And um, at, at smaller companies, that's not true. So I don't really have the luxury of doing a side miniseries that's not really germane. So when I do a side miniseries, it has to be, you know, it has to be important to the overall story. So I'm really working on, on three or four G.I. Joe comics a month, sometimes five or even six, and the same thing with Transformers. So, like, even though I'm working on two big properties, it's still a huge workload, and to coordinate them to make sure that they intertwine properly is, it's really like doing two annihilations at the same time. 
all the time mm -hmm. and never getting that break where it's like, oh, I only have the prologue issue this month. Like, that's the only one I have to worry about. <laughs> you know, like th that never happens. <laughs> they got to keep coming. Uh, so that's that's really difficult um, to to do. And I'm working with all the different creative teams. And, and uh, fortunately, all the creative teams I'm working with are all uh, – this was something that I didn't realize how useful this was going to be at the time, but I'm really glad I did it. When I started, as I got everybody on conference calls together and all sort of putting ideas into the pot. And, and what happened was they start seeding each other's ideas. And that's a great idea. I can set you up over here and then you can pay it off three months later, six months later, ten months later. Mm -hmm. um, and that has that has worked wonders on G.I. Joe and is and is now starting to really click on Transformers as well. Really? That, that's interesting. Just cause, and, and I mean, to me, it, it makes sense that um, a Larry Hama or a Chuck Dixon G.I. Joe comic is going to be very good, obviously. Um, and, but for me, the, the Dark Horse, you know, G.I. Joe Cobra to me has been really like one of the best miniseries i've read this year like a huge surprise because it kind of came from out of nowhere and i if i were to look at it on the surface i would say i don't i'm not going to care about this um, right and, and it really was you know I mean, when you when you get the pitch for something like that i mean did you would you know right away you're like this is really something special or, or gi joe cobra was was an amazing sort of story in and of itself that uh that the idea for doing that book came up while I was on the phone with Hasbro. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on the phone with Hasbro. It's a conference call. There are a bunch of Hasbro guys on it, and Chris Ryle was on it. And we were we were doing the zero issue, which was 16 pages of content and then extra material. And and we had planned one thing, and I had sort of made the case that this is GI Joe. People, we're relaunching GI Joe. Like this should be bigger than one comic. So. Uh, I said, if we're going to tear up track and sort of do something else, we don't have time to do a 16-page story uh, with the same creative team all the way through it. Like, one penciler didn't have time before we had to put this thing to print. Mm -hmm. um, and so I said, so why don't we we'll, we'll do three stories, three short stories in G.I. Joe number zero, and we'll launch three, three series out of that. Of course, Hasbro says, well, what are we going to do? And I go, we're going to do G.I. Joe, the, the book. It's just called G.I. Joe, and we're going to do G.I. Joe Origins. We're going to tell the story of how the team came together, because those are the two like, really obvious ones you can go for. And, uh, and they're like, what's the third book? I was like, it's called G.I. Joe Cobra. It's about an agent going undercover. And they're like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, all right, we're, we're doing that. That was on the fly? <laughs> Completely on the fly. Wow. And then, <laughs> and then we, we get off the call, and, and, and Ryle goes, had you thought about that before? I'm like, nope, no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, wow, that was pretty good. So then I, uh, with Cobra specifically, I, I called, um, I called Chris Gage first because I'd worked with him a bunch of Marvel and he's great and he didn't have time to do it. Um, but he, he liked the idea of it. So he introduced me to Mike Costa and Mike Costa has really been sort of the, the linchpin of, of, Cobra, and then we talked about who the we talked about who the agent should be. Uh, I think it was Mike's idea that it would be Chuckles, who I didn't even remember. And I was like, "Oh right, the Hawaiian shirt, awesome, let's do that." And uh, yeah, and it just blossomed from there. And, it, and very quickly, though, I think all three of us realized. And then when we got Antonio, it was just like that last peg just clicked into place. I was like, "Wow, this is this is something special." And actually, the so that first miniseries is four issues, and that got rave reviews, mm -hmm. and I think pretty. It seems like universally people that read it thought it was really, really 
Yeah, I mean, like, of the five issues that exist, like, three of them were pick of the weeks that I fanboy, and that's... Right, yeah, yeah. That's, Thank that's, you. That's a huge percentage. That no, was pretty sweet, point. yeah. <laughs> but, the, uh, but, yeah, the, uh, the G.I. Joe Cobra special the, that came out after the fourth issue has, might be the best-reviewed comic I've ever worked on in my entire career. Yeah. Um, which is... Which is, you know, not that I'm putting a feather in my cap, but that's that's saying something considering how many comics I have worked on. Um, you know, at Marvel, I was putting out like 20, you know, I was working on about 20 books a month. Mm-hmm. And I did that for five or six years, whatever. And uh, this this book, I mean, like, wow, I was. No, it was, just, I mean, it was. It. I mean, I, I had that as a big of the week, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but like, I, it was such. It was actually like, it was a pleasure to write a review about. Because there were so many things that that we could that you could talk about about it, you know, the the sort of dual uh, structure and just you know all this stuff. Uh, it was just a hell of a comic book, and, and and like and I've said many times, you know, a book called GI Joe Cobra about Chuckles has no right to be anywhere near as good as it is, no right at all. So I don't I don't know what you think you're up to, sir. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, we were talking about Annihilation earlier and how nobody cared mm-hmm. about those characters, which allowed for storytelling opportunities um, that wouldn't have existed if I were doing an Avengers story set in space. Uh, and that was true of G.I. Joe Cobra. Nobody, in fact, two of the main characters in G.I. Joe Cobra were characters that Hasbro was like, well, why would you use them? They're, they're, they're kind of dumb characters. I was like, well... Right, then let me use them. And they're like, well, all right, that's fine. <laughs> I think I actually wrote that in the review for that. I was like, you know, I have always hated Tomax and Say. I've hated them. <laughs> Made it work. So, so they, 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 give you, they, they, they give you that much more leeway. And, and I, gotta, I, I really have to hand it to Hasbro. And Hasbro doesn't like me to, to, name, to name specific people, but, but the people at Hasbro that I work with, you know, they know that I really like working with them. They, I, I was so worried to work on a licensed book <laughs> when I got hired and started at this that, that I was just like, this, is, this could be a total nightmare. Like, what if they hate me? Uh, or what if they, they just have, like, terrible systems that are impossible to navigate? Mm-hmm. Um, and Hasbro, Hasbro just isn't like that. Like, they just, you know, if they'll question things. I mean, by God, they, they questioned G.I. Joe Cobra. They're like, is this really what we want to do? Like, what? What are we really doing here? And so we'd get on the phone and we'd, we'd have a conversation about it. I'd say, this is, this is my take on it. This is where, you know, this is the tone it's going to strike. And, and hey, when you have a member of G.I. Joe flat out murder an innocent woman, here's what you get out of that from a story standpoint, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they went for it. In fact, on the, on the issue three, which is the big, the big one where yeah. Chuckles murders an innocent woman that he's in love with, um, when that page came in, like I was like, guys, th- make sure that that this page is not too graphic, because <laughs> if they see this page and it's too graphic, th- that's the whole ball game. They may make us change everything, <laughs> uh, you know. And when I submitted that page to to Hasbro, <laughs> one of their one of their people said, "What is this? The play school version of an execution?" <laughs> and so I went back to the artist. I was like, "All right, put in more blood." <laughs> We're good to go. So they've been they're they're really great. They get on board with something, you know, and, and they go for it. And they come back with their own ideas. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, there's there's some stuff in those G.I. Joe books that, that people are really digging that, that came from Hasbro and, and fortunately everybody on the, these G.I. Joe teams is of the mind that you know, the best idea wins. It's not about my idea winning or about Chuck Dixon's idea winning or about Larry Hama's or Hasbro's. It's just about making the best 
books that make sense together and everybody just seems to work really well in that regard so gi joe is something i'm really really proud of um and, it, and it's a book i it's it's a, a property it's multiple books but i i don't think i could have i could have done this a couple of years ago i think actually taking the time away from editing has helped make me uh, a better editor and uh and and you know my, my ego is my ego is less involved now than it ever was, but I probably am throwing out more ideas than I ever was um, to, to people to bounce off of. And that doesn't mean that my ideas are making it into the books all the time, but but just being that much more giving of ideas to people uh, often results in, you know, like the classes, that, that energy, like, oh, yeah, that's a cool idea, but what if we did this with it? And then the writer takes it into a place I never would have taken it, but is brilliant. And, uh, and, and it's those moments like on the phone with somebody, or even if it's over email, that's, that's just like, wow, this is really, it's really clicking. It gets everybody fired up. It gets the artists fired up to, to work on it. There's nothing like the click. The, once, yeah. once the click starts, you know, everything is good. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty great. Yeah. Working, working on those books, working on IDW has, has been, it's been really awesome. And that's, that's how I, I started there was my wife came home and said, I don't want to do this anymore. So I said, all right. <laughs> we'll go we'll go over here then how do you feel about california <laughs> so um so yeah that's how it happened and it's worked out uh you know no complaints on my end and, and this is great and honestly this is actually something it's funny because i actually told this to, to dan buckley um maybe a year before i left marvel i said i am going to leave one day because i want to do because i love editing and because i love writing and because i love teaching i'm gonna have to leave here one day because i can't do those here and he and you know, I, I actually reminded him of that conversation when I was turning in my things and my uh, my um, letter of resignation, and 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 he was like, "Oh yeah, that's right, you did say that." <laughs> but and now I have a job where I can do that. So, you know, I think I've written uh, I've written like twelve comics out of twelve or fourteen or something like that comics that have that have come out since since uh, since I've been on staff at IDW, um, and I learned something more with every story I write. And it's, it's great. You know, I got to write, I got to write a children's book. I never thought I'd write a children's book. I got to write a children's book, which was, which was really fun. Um, something I can, you know, show to my son and stuff like, Hey, dad wrote this, you know? So it, it's, uh, it's been great. And I jump at any writing opportunity that, that sort of comes up that, that I think is going to be challenging mm-hmm. and it's great. I guess just before we, we, we wrap up, I mean, what, what do you have coming out, uh, in terms of writing or what do you have that's out there? Uh, Anything you want to plug? <laughs> well, uh, I I did a Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan three issue movie adaptation came out this summer um, that people either loved or hated. Uh, there seemed to be no middle ground, but it's actually something I'm really proud of because it was it was extraordinarily difficult to do and try to stay true to a movie that people love that much. Um, and and it, I, I I'm really proud of it as as a. As, as a work, condensing that movie into three issues was was a near nigh impossible task, and I think I think uh, Chi and my artist, uh, you know, pulled it off really well. I'm really proud of that. Um, uh, I wrote a Spotlight Metroplex, which is a Transformers book. It's a one-issue, self-contained story that uh, was all double-page spreads because it's about a Transformer that's the size of a city. Metroplex, yeah, Metroplex is the city one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and that got you know that got like a really great response from Transformers fans. 
um, which was just really, really awesome. That came out a while back. Uh, this December, I have uh, a Star Trek one-shot called Star Trek Alien Spotlight Cardassians that I actually co-wrote with my older brother, who's a huge Star Trek fan. And um, and it it is really uh, it is really something that, again, I'm proud of, and my brother Arnie, who I wrote it with, is, is proud of. And uh, I, that one we just sent to the printer, and I just read the, the PDF of that. And, and it had been a really long – I actually wrote that, like, way in advance. We just hadn't scheduled it. For, for a while and Scott Doombier was the editor on it and so I really hadn't looked at it in months at all like all the art was done the colors were all done they've been done for, for a couple of months so I hadn't looked at it now it's lettered and it's on color and I'm reading it on screen at night at home and on the PDF and I'm like wow this like who wrote this <laughs> this is this is really good um, and uh, so that's that's coming out in December and I, I'm really happy with that cool but, and I've got some things that haven't been announced yet that will eventually happen but that's those have been some real some real highlights and like i said you know there's there's so much you learn from doing something like a star trek 2 adaptation like doing an adaptation of an existing thing is is a, is a completely different animal than just sitting down and writing a creator own book um you know and, and that's a different animal than you know writing the children's book and i and i wrote one of those you know marvel puts out and i think they're free on the racks now like moon knight saga which is just you know panels pulled from different comics over the decades and strung together with a narrative. I just wrote one of those for Transformers. That comes out uh, the week before the ongoing Transformers comic comes out. I wrote one of those, which is not like, wow, I can really sink my teeth into this story and, and you know, look at all these clever plot twists I have. I mean, it's all, it's all essentially recap, but it's looking at it and going, okay, there's, <laughs> there's four years worth of stories, you know, 36 to 40 issues a year. So I'm looking at 120 issues. I got to distill that down into 32 pages of narration and not bore the pants off people. Uh, so how do I do that? And then you realize, well, I can pick up this theme here that can actually thread through the whole thing. And so it's finding those ways to be creative with whatever you're doing that really makes something memorable and and really important to me as because I still consider myself a, a, a younger writer. I got tons to learn uh, about what my what my writing style is, about what what I want to do with the written word and all that sort of thing. Um, that finding finding those ways to be creative in something that a lot of people would look at and go, man, I don't want to do that. That that sounds boring or whatever is is really it's it's really weird, you know. Trying something you don't know how to do is is a great way to learn and get better. And so I'm still on that part of the journey. Cool. Well, uh, thanks so much, Andy. I, I appreciate it. That was fun. Well, I appreciate you having me on, yeah. Josh. Uh, uh, if if you want to know about your your classes, that's uh, the, the URL is comicsexperience.com, and that's C O M I C S, as opposed to the I X. That's right. right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the next one starting is the online coloring class, which we went through talking about it, and we never even mentioned that uh, there's a co-teacher mm-hmm. who is uh, Chris Sotomayor, who has colored, been coloring comics for years and years, and has colored every comic of Marvel, pretty much, and all the major characters over at DC, and he's done a bunch of independent books, uh, and the, he has actually trained many, many colors working for Marvel and DC, uh, and so he he has his own studio and he he knows this stuff inside and out. He's a, he's a really great instructor and uh, and he and I will both actually be on the on in in these classes together. And so you actually get it'll be the first class where you really get this this uh, you know the the guy doing it and the editor and we get to actually you know 
argue or bicker or whatever all the way through. And so you really, really get, you know, both sides of the story. Um, yeah. And the classes always have guest speakers. I got Chuck Dixon coming in tomorrow night for the, uh, for the writing class to, to talk to the students and, and, uh, they're great. They're great fun. And, you know, if, if you just want to try it and, and, and see what, what this whole thing is about and see if you enjoy it, this is a great way to do it. If it's something that you've already decided, I want to do this as a career, it's great for that, too. So it's um, they're a lot of fun. I want to thank Andy for spending so much time with us, telling us about his work at IDW Comics, his time at Marvel Comics, and the secret origin of G.I. Joe Cobra. How cool is that? You can check out comicsexperience.com, and as always, get to ifanboy.com to comment on this show and all the other cool stuff we've got going on there. There's always something fun at ifanboy.com. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you later. Later.